I'm starting off this episode with a public service announcement to all you TikToker Instagrammers out there doing your little silhouette challenge. If you don't got the back to back that up, you're throwing out your back. Got it? Listen closely. We'll talk more. I know you're all ready for a funny story, right? Who wants a funny story? I promise it has something to do with the muscle of today. Practice femoris. So long, long ago, before PT school was even a sparkle in my eye, I worked at a nonprofit organization taking phone calls on a hotline for people who were seeking free legal services. And so I basically did interviews all day and sat at a computer on a telephone all day. And uh, we had a cubicle system, so there was about 12 or 13 of us in a room and we you know, formed this great camaraderie. We were a small but mighty team of super, super busy paralegals. And one of my coworkers, who is just such a fabulous human, she was this very bubbly um, woman in her mid to late 40s and just brightest personality comes up to me and says, you know, I've been having low back pain and the doctor says I have a sway back. And of course me just like being a nerd had to Google what is a sway back. And I came across something called a lumbar lordosis on the internet. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I have that. I have a lumbar lordosis. <laughs> of course, not realizing that everybody has a lumbar lordosis. Hopefully you're supposed to, you should. Um, it is just, the direction of the curve in your lumbar spine. It's supposed to be a lordotic curve. Of course, I didn't know that. And I was just equating sway back to lumbar lordosis, which really was um, my understanding of it was really, I have an increased lumbar lordosis, which of course, I had to call my sister right away because the women, in my family have been known to have, let's just say the curvature that would make one look as though their posterior side was on the large side. Let's just say that. Um, and so I said to my sister, oh my gosh, your butt and my butt and mom's butt, I know why we have it. We have a lumbar lordosis. <laughs> to be honest, I have an interior pelvic tilt and that's what's up with that. Um, so why am I talking about this? Well, today we are talking about dun, da, 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 one of the reasons why you might have an interior pelvic tilt if you do, such as me. So today's muscle is one of the quadriceps. Course, there are four quadriceps we're only talking about one of them rectus femoris because it is ultra special and it kind of trends on theme with 
the multi-joint muscles that we have been talking about lately. So we're gonna go with that. I'm gonna bring you the O's, I's, and A's in just a moment here after a message from our sponsor. Hang in tight, and there'll be more chat, of course, after that. And do yourself a favor, y'all. Don't diagnose yourself on the internet. Just don't. Alrighty, here we go with the O's, I's, and A's of rectus femoris, one-fourth of the quadriceps, per the ever-so-lovely Gray's Anatomy textbook from the public domain. This is by Henry Gray, The Anatomy of the Human Body. I use this text, as I always say on every episode, because it is in the public domain and they're not gonna pop me for copyright. But the great thing is, is that you can download this book for free and anatomy doesn't change that much. So when I notice something's out of whack, I'll let you know and I'll supplement that with information that I have learned that is more up to date. But for all intents and purposes, we're going with gray, okay? So here we go, per gray, the rectus femoris is situated in the middle of the front of the thigh. It is fusiform in shape and its superficial fibers are arranged in bipeniform manner. The deep fibers running straight down to the deep aponeurosis. It arises by two tendons, one anterior or straight from the anterior inferior iliac spine, your AIIS, the other, the posterior or reflected, from a groove above the brim of the acetabulum. The two unite at an acute angle and spread into an aponeurosis, which is prolonged downward on the anterior surface of the muscle. And from this, the muscular fibers rise. The muscle ends in a broad and thick aponeurosis, which occupies the lower two-thirds of its posterior surface, and gradually becoming narrowed into a flattened tendon, it is inserted into the base of the patella. There are your attachments. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that poetic? Moving forward, the nerves, innervations, all of the quads, including rectus, are supplied by the second, third, and fourth lumbar nerves through the femoral nerves. So that is femoral nerve, L2, L3, L4. Actions, we'll keep it short and sweet. Rectus works to both extend the knee and flex the hip, which ladies and gentlemen is why we are here today, shall we say actually, Ladies and gentle people, we are here today because of the two-joint muscle, which is rectus femoris. I want you to go back and listen to what we just said. The actions are extend the knee. We know the quads do this. I'm pretty sure that most people are familiar with the quads. But do a lot of people know that rectus femoris also flexes the hip? I think not. I think when we think of hip flexion, we tend to think, if we are in the anatomy nerd circle, or in the personal training circle, or in the yoga circle, in the sport circle, 
We tend to think of the hip flexors as the iliacus and psoas major. However, we have to remember there are other muscles that attach to the thigh from the anterior portion of the pelvis and the rectus femoris is one of those major players. So let's go back to the beginning of the episode before the ozis and A's when I was talking about what? Anterior pelvic tilt, as it were. So when my coworker said that she had sway back, which is what her doctor told her, and when I went to the internet to Google what the hell that was, and I found all over the internet lumbar lordosis, lumbar lordosis, which now we know is just a natural curvature of the spine, and they should have been saying hyperlordosis of the lumbar spine, accentuated, exacerbated, increased curve of the lumbar spine. That is coupled with anterior pelvic tilt. What is the source of that? There's a lot of different things, but one of those players can be either a shortened iliacus, ilioso as so as major, or a shortened rectus femoris. Okay, so let's rewind. I want you to work through a little puzzle with me, and it's going to involve getting on the floor if you're comfortable with that. If you're not, no worries, just imagine it out in your head. But if you're comfortable coming to the floor and getting onto your belly in what we call the prone position, I want you to work through that with me because I'm gonna tell you right now a way to clue in if your rectus might be short or not, and then I'll tell you why it matters. So, rewinding a little bit, I mentioned that myself and my sister and my mother all tend to have this anterior pelvic tilt position. Now, I'm not gonna say here or there if that's genetic or what, because a lot of things we learn um, by observation from our families, so you know, postural, for example. Um, but my family did share a lot of activities as well. My sister and I, for example, grew up playing soccer. From clinical observation of uh, some of my instructors, I have learned that some positions in soccer, including halfback, which is where I played, tend to be quadricep heavy. So when we look at some soccer players that aren't not necessarily the sprinting type, like um, just off the cuff, my professor, the same guy, said that if you're a forward or a striker, you tend to have more glutes because you are required to sprint, sprint, sprint super quick. But for a midfielder or halfback, you have to change positions a lot, you have to go for longer kicks, and for that reason, larger quads tend to develop and benefit you. Or maybe you sway or gravitate toward those positions because you naturally have larger quads and it works better for you. That's probably what happened in my position, to be honest with you. I, from a young age, when I was playing soccer, realized that I could kick the ball really, really far. So I probably naturally had larger quads growing up. And to this point, I'm gonna digress a little bit farther because we're already way off on the digression train. Balance between hamstrings and quadriceps in soccer players is extremely important. And as you might know, a lot of, uh, qu- of quad-heavy soccer players 
or maybe you don't realize they're quad heavy, but let's just say a lot of soccer players who end up injuring their anterior cruciate ligament, their ACL, tend to be quadricep dominant. And the hamstrings aid and abet the ACL. So if you don't have strong hamstrings to counteract your strong, strong quads, sometimes the quads act a little bit too much in their own interest, and that's when you can develop ACL injury. So if you're a soccer player out there and you're listening, don't forget about training up your hamstrings. I know that when I was a kid going to the gym, going to weight training in high school for soccer, I hated doing hamstring curls or anything with my hamstrings, duh, because they were weak and I didn't realize it. But I love doing the leg press. So am I surprised that I tore my ACL? No, not at all. Not knowing what I know now. So protect yourselves. Make sure you're doing balanced strength training for all of you out there that are in cut and pivot sports, basketball, volleyball, soccer, etc. I digress. Let's come on back to the rectus femoris. So I was talking about anterior pelvic tilt in relation to the potential of this muscle being short. Now, I know that I have large quads. I know that I am also now a cyclist, which is also a very quad dominant sport. I'm in a lot of hip flexion and a lot of knee extension through various points in the pedal cycle. So I have absolutely no question that my rectus femori, recti femoris, rectus femorises are short. Um, but this was confirmed in PT school when we started to learn about muscle length testing. If you're in PT school, you already know that I'm about to mention the modified Thomas test. Now, I'm not going to teach you the modified Thomas test, but I am going to teach you something that you can do kind of like a quick and dirty test to see if you might have a short rectus. And it does involve getting down on the floor on your belly in the prone position. So if that's not comfortable for you, no worries. But I'm just going to explain for those of you who might want to try it out, how this works. And if you don't go through it with us, that's okay too, because you can still visualize how it works because we're still exploring concepts like passive insufficiency. So here we go. From the prone position. Now I want you to come down all the way because I don't want any excessive curvature in your spine as you do this. We do not want to exacerbate your lumbar lordosis here. And I want you to just relax as much as possible in this prone position. And I want you to take your index fingers on either side of your pelvis. So try to feel palpate the most bony part of your pelvis in the front that's touching the floor. And that is going to be most likely your anterior superior iliac spine, your ASIS. It's going to be on either side and it's going to be the most pokey part of your pelvis poking into the floor that is bilateral. Okay, so we're not trying to go central here. We're not going to your pubic bone. We're going straight to your ASIS. And if you're still not sure what that is, you can Google a picture of it and find it real quick. But I want you to feel with your knees straight, I want your knees straight here, how much space 
if any, is there right below your ASIS, so like go a little bit more downward toward your feet, just a tiny bit so that your fingers might be able to tuck under and touch the floor. So I want you to feel how much space there is right there with your knees straight. And then if it, do it slow, do it gentle, don't hurt yourself. If it doesn't pull on your low back too much, bend your knees and see what happens. As you bend your knees, did that space increase a little bit? Did you get a little bit more of that tilt forward? Did it come a little bit easier to lift or rather slice <laughs> your fingers underneath your pelvis? Well, that my friends could be because your rectus femoris, as it bends around your knees because they're bending and tugging on their origin pulling your hip into extension. So we're really, really fully stretching your rectus femoris here. It's going into passive insufficiency. And if you haven't listened to a couple episodes prior where we talk about the gastroc and the soleus, I want you to go back and listen to that and you'll understand what I mean by passive insufficiency. But as a general recap, two joint muscles, such as rectus femoris, such as gastronemia, such as the hamstrings, the long hamstrings, work on two joints. And they can't work well in both extremes of motion at the same time, as well as they cannot stretch in the opposite way in both extremes well at the same time. And so especially if you're somebody like me who happens to have a short rectus femoris, stretching it into full knee flexion and full hip extension, really stretching out that muscle as much as possible is not happy. And so what happens is rather than allowing me to fully bend my knee, rather than allowing my hip to stay planted into the ground, my pelvis rather, to stay plant, planted flat into the ground, as I bend my knee further, it's gonna pull my pelvis into more of an anterior tilt and then I can squeeze my fingers a little bit more between my body and the floor to prove that. So basically what is happening here is that the, the insertion at the quadriceps tendon, as the in, insertion goes into the base of the patella, which is the most superior part of the patella, by the way, I know the base kind of trips you up, but the base of the patella is the most superior part of the patella where the quadriceps tendon attaches. As the knee goes into what flexion, we are pulling the insertion farther away from the origin to stretch the muscle. A short muscle doesn't like it. And so what does it do? It tries to pull the origin with it. And if we go all the way back to the beginning of the episode, what do you think is gonna happen when that muscle that is fully taut, fully stretched, starts to pull its origin, that anterior, inferior, iliac portion of the spine of the pelvis, the AIIS, as it pulls that origin away from the body to go with the stretch of that muscle, what do you think happens in the connection of the pelvis to the lumbar spine? 
is going to get a little stressed, right? It's going to get a little stressed. And so what happens? Because the lumbar spine is incredibly mobile, it's going to go into an accentuated curve. So my friends, from that position on the floor, go ahead and stand up in front of a mirror if you so feel like it. And when you do, try to have a nice tall posture. Don't try to exaggerate anything. Don't try to make anything perfect. Try to assume your normal posture and look at the mirror in a sagittal view, so a sideways view. If you lift up your shirt just a little bit so that you can expose your lumbar spine, do you see a bit of an exaggerated curve there? If you were that person who clinically you felt a bit of an accentuated pull when you did that exercise on the floor, you felt that accentuated anterior pelvic tilt as your pelvis pulled when the muscle was stretched, and do you visually observe in the mirror a little bit more of an accentuated lumbar curve? Well, that could mean you have a bit of an anterior tilt and that your lumbar spine might be compensating for that a little bit because it wants your body to remain as upright as possible. So think about this. Your pelvis is the connection between your upper body and your lower body. Your pelvis is the connection between your upper body and your lower body through your spine. The lowest part of the spine that connects to your pelvis through the sacrum is what? Your lumbar spine. So in order for your body that is above your pelvis, that upper part of your body, arms, head, trunk, to stay as upright as possible in order to keep your center of mass over your base of support and keep you balanced, your lumbar spine has to do a little extra work here if you have a naturally anteriorly tilted pelvis, either due to muscle shortness or there's other causes as well. I'm speaking generally here. But if you are in that position, if your lumbar spine was to remain in its regular curve and not hyperaccentuate or hyperextend or hyperlordose itself, then you'd be leaning forward and your center of mass would be more anterior in the sagittal plane than it should be and it would be harder for you to keep your balance. So what does your body do? Your body is so smart. Your body is so smart in that it wants you to stay upright and it doesn't want you to have to work so hard to stay balanced. So it makes little tweaks here and there that maybe you don't notice them in the time, but over the long run, they might start to break down your joints a little bit more. They might, I hate the word wear and tear, but they might start to kind of, you know, expose themselves over time if we don't, you know, do some things as far as exercises go, etc., to kind of correct those imbalances that we are dealing with. So, for example, one thing that I can do, knowing that I have been assessed by people who are trained to do this via the modified Thomas test, I know that I have a short rectus femoris on both sides. And so what I can do is work to stretch my rectus femoris more, right? and probably even more so if I do an activity like cycling, which it happens to be a long activity 
that really works my quads. After a bike ride, I really need to stretch out my quads. So um, one thing that I can do, for example, is as some of you know who've been listening to this podcast for a while, I was a yoga teacher for a really long time before I went to PT school. And so in a lunge position, for example, having my knee down in a lunge is actually the quote unquote, you know, modified version. It's not like I hate when when people say like, oh, it's not the full version of the pose, but some people who choose to hmm, place more of a hmm, challenge against gravity. Let's call it that. People who choose the version of the pose that is in a more challenge against gravity will lift their knee in a lunge. But for me, if I have my knee down, I feel it a lot more and that's because I have a short rectus. And I feel it even more with that knee down lunge position if I bend my knee and lift my foot away from the floor. Oh my goodness. If I were to say, try to reach back toward my foot, you know, there's some people who can reach back and grab their foot. I always kind of felt like, man, I'm a yoga teacher. I should be able to do that. Why can other people do it and I can't? That's because they may not have a tight rectus like I do. I don't know if I've ever reached my foot and I don't know if I ever will. Um, But that doesn't make me any less of a yoga practitioner. It just means that I've got some work to do as far as stretching those recti femoris, recti femorises, rectus femorises, out to get them a little bit more balanced. So one thing I wanna just kind of wrap up with is the sentiment that hypomobility, so less mobility than desired in one part of the body leads to hypermobility or excessive mobility in other parts of the body. Remember that the body loves to compensate and so for my case, my hypomobile recti femori, (laughs) or let's say they're short and so therefore I'm not getting the hip extension with knee flexion that would help me out. It is causing my lumbar spine to compensate for the anterior pelvic tilt that results from my short rectus. Does that make sense? So I know that I've got to stretch more. There's other things that I can do in regards to fixing my posture as well, which, you know, that's going to take a whole nother half hour to talk about. But keep that in mind. When you're excessively mobile, in one joint, it's not always the greatest thing. Especially seeing that in my yoga classes, you see a lot of people just going into extremes on the ranges of motion. How far can you go? How far can you stretch? 
but where is that taking a toll elsewhere? So strive for balance. Don't strive for hyper or hypo. Try to get right there in the middle. And so for me, because I know my lumbar spine loves to live in more extension than it should, that is gonna be a toll that I have to deal with if I don't deal with it now. And so one way I've gotta do that is to stretch my rectus. Got it? So if we can relate this to something going on in the world, I would like to relate it to the silhouette challenge on TikTok and Instagram. Because I'm about to blow your mind that most of the curvatures that you're seeing in the silhouette challenge is not a big butt. It is a hyperlordotic curve. And for all of those people trying so hard to make their butt look big, I will advise you to lift weights and strengthen your glutes instead. Because please be friendly to your lumbar spine, please. And when you do that glute workout, when you do those deadlifts, you're gonna do it in the proper form, with proper instruction, because I'm telling you, you don't wanna lift a lot of weight without doing in proper form. So don't say, if you get hurt, that I told you to do it, because I'm telling you to do it with proper form. So make sure that you're trained before you train. Point being, if you're gonna go on the silhouette challenge, watch out for your low back, man. Watch out for your low back. And if you're looking at that silhouette challenge, feeling bad because you don't have a tush, like the people on the silhouette challenge, lots of them don't have it either. They're just putting their back out of whack, right? So let's all cooperate, take care of the L-spine. Give your L-spine a little love. And, uh, yeah. Don't be putting your butt in the air if you don't got one, because you're just gonna hurt your back, man. Got it? Good. So wrapping up one quarter of the quadriceps today with rectus femoris, special, special muscle, two joint muscle, passive insufficiency is a biggie. Go back and review the gastroc episode if you still don't know what that means. Otherwise, wishing you well. If you are taking final exams like I am soon, best of luck. Reach out to me, let me know how you did, and let's keep in touch on social media, Twitter, sometimes, Instagram, all the time, TikTok, every once in a blue moon, at Nikki Dashray, that's at N-I-K-K-I-D-A-S-H-R-A-E. Hit me up and we'll chat. Take care now, bye-bye then.